All right, because three is a crowd, I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse. Brand new mics. Kelly, how is it going today? I'm so casually slipped in. I know. It's pretty great. <laughs> we're getting ready for season three. Are we? Well, we're coming to the end of season two. I guess we're not getting ready for season three. <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess maybe kind of. Anyways, how is it going today, Kelly? How's, how's everything going? Um, It's great. Right? Just another day in America. But we're not here today to talk about that, Kelly. However, I do think it's important to get back to something of that. When we first started this podcast, we wanted to talk a lot about what this song means to us today. And I think we've gotten pretty far away from that. Just talking about Bob Dylan, talking about, you know, just fun stuff that we always kind of do. It'd be nice at the end. Maybe we'll, we'll start trying to wrap it up with, does this song still resonate today? Is this song still relevant? Cause I think a lot of songs aren't and Especially haven't been. It's like about a time period. Right. So we're going to, so let's just try it um, over to close out season two and then okay. we'll, we'll keep revisiting it if it, if it works. So Kelly, this is a Bob Dylan podcast. I have been listening to Bob Dylan for my entire life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as a number of languages spoken in the Tower of Babel. And this week we listened to the classic the Tower of Babel? ISIS. Oh, it's got to be some Bible shed. Off of 1976's Desire. I married ISIS on the fifth day of May, but I could not hold on to her. I cut off my hair and I rode straight away for the wild unknown country where I could not go wrong. All right, Kelly, so we spent the entire week listening to ISIS. Not the terrorist band. <laughs> terrorist band? No. <laughs> well, I guess they could be a band of terrorists or not the ba- organization, no, okay. the let's, Islamic State. Yeah. Let's let's stop that immediately. I don't need to defame a defunct band. Kelly, we spent the week listening to 1976's Isis off of Desire. You love Desire. You love you. some Scarlet Rivera. I do. I'm interested to know if you still do uh, as we go along with the show. But just initial thoughts on Isis. It's it's good. I like it's a narrative song. It's a narrative song. We haven't done it in a little while. I feel like that um, makes sense. It's not a very confusing narrative. Um, we've had a lot that kind of just don't make sense. This one from start to finish, I feel like you can follow what's going on. And I like Bob's voice just right off the bat. Uh, I don't know, it's it's intriguing. It's a little slow and repetitive, but I think that the interjection of the violin and the harmonica really keep it from being so monotonous. And because he is telling a story, you stay engaged, even though the music can get a little like, because it's kind of just like a, a march on the piano over and mm-hmm. over again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. Fair enough. This, this uh, just to give a little bit of context, the song was recorded over July 30th and July 31st, 1975, the 31st second take of that night was uh, is the one that we listened to on Desire. It was labeled ISIS, like I-C-E-S, on the recording sheet. Hilarious. Uh, it's like the, multiple ice. Like multiple ice. <laughs> it's the only Desire song, Save Sarah, which we've already talked about, um, that did not get a big band cut. So it's very different than... Um, I mean, Sarah did... Um, well, no, that's just him and a guitar. Yeah, so we haven't we've heard some of the songs from this, but um, most of Desire was from July fourteenth, the twenty eighth, and the 29th, which was recorded with a full band. So this one never even got a rendition of it, which is kind of interesting. It might not have made it on the album for some of the others, but uh, that's pretty unique about this. This was also co written 
uh, with Jacques Levy, who we've talked about before. He helped on Desire and helped with Sarah. So we talked about him when we did our Sarah episode, which mm. should definitely go back and look at because that is a hilarious episode. Uh, in the Dylan magazine, the longest running Dylan magazine is known as ISIS. And it uh, publishes every, I think every quarter or What's every month. What's a Dylan magazine? What? Bro. What? Bro. Yeah. It's been going since like 1985. There's a magazine about Bob Dylan Just, that comes out oh, every yeah. couple months. Yeah. And it uh, has articles on Bob Dylan, songs, looking into stuff. Yeah. And it's called ISIS. It's called ISIS. So, huh. so it's important. Why don't we have that? Why don't you subscribe? It's expensive. Oh. <laughs> I mean, but they're, but they're pretty. I mean, they're like full gloss cover color and... Yeah, it's really cool. If I and it's also from the UK, so it's even more important or more expensive to import it in. So, well, anybody in the UK wants to send us a copy of uh, ISIS, or hey, give us a couple dollars at patreoncom pod, and that way we can buy ISIS ourselves That's and tell true. you fun stuff. That's true. We can definitely do that. So, listen to Kelly on this one. But Jacques Levy, who wrote, uh, who uh, Jacques Levy, who was interviewed by ISIS, uh, said, quote, this was almost a funeral dirge when we first worked on it. It was so slow and rather stately and sad, and it was slightly different at the time. We had a chorus at the end that was different from the final version. Hmm. So there is a different version of ISIS out there. Uh, probably never been recorded. Uh, he continued, the only reason that ISIS was chosen as a sorry, the only reason that ISIS was chosen as a song for us to work on together uh, is because that I was at my loft apartment and Bob didn't have his guitar, but I had a piano and Isis was the one song that he had started to write on the piano. We were sitting at the piano together and we were writing these verses in an old Western ballad kind of style. You know, the kind of thing that he spent a couple of years doing with the band in Big Pink. Mm-hmm. He continued, well, it's a similar kind of thing. And just as the band wrote, pulled into Nazareth, you know, well, Isis has as much to do with Egypt as Fanny has to do with Nazareth. By the way, check out Band Month currently going on right now. <laughs> uh, Dylan later said that, quote, ISIS was a story that meant something to Jacques. It just seemed to take on a life of its own. The song almost didn't come to be. I mean, he, he alludes to a funeral march being uh, a style that they started with. But this also didn't have a full band. This was just going to be Bob and a piano. And it wasn't until Rob Stoner, who he was working with, uh, who can he convinced Bob Dylan to add Scarlet to add himself and he brought a drummer from his own band Howie Wythe to be the drummer who then was the drummer for Desire so this song is one of those classic songs that Bob Dylan didn't have any direction and Isis kind of centered him brought in Howie Wythe who was the drummer and the drums on this and all of Rolling Thunder are fucking spot on and a lot of people consider him to be the greatest drummer that Bob Dylan's ever worked with um so shout out to Rob Stoner for like putting this together and really uh, creating a vibe and for Bob for to go with it because the rest of Desire probably wouldn't have happened. Scarlet probably wouldn't have been on any one of these songs. Uh, this song became the centerpiece of Rolling Thunder and we listened to a couple Rolling Thunder cuts um, and that's where it kind of stopped. After Rolling Thunder, he only played it a couple more times, uh, 46 times in total, which is kind of insane because this song is pretty classic although it does get shafted on greatest hits compilations all the time in lieu of um you know hurricane which is probably which is the what opens desire but i think this is better than hurricane uh it's number 34 on rolling stone's best bob dylan songs of all time i did find it pretty uh unique that there was no guitar on the studio version just the bass and piano and true a little bit of harmonica drums obviously and uh scarlet so it was really striking immediately, especially when you contrast it with the other, like the live versions and the guitars oh, yeah. are so 
uh, such a focal point. Which is where we're going to go to. Yeah. And also want to shout out Sheena Scheidenberg, who plays the tambourine and the congas on the uh, on the original version as well. Mm. So they're definitely experimenting with some stuff. And I think it's a it's a slam dunk. So let's talk about the three versions we listen to. We listen to the ones that are available on Spotify just to make it easy. We listen, obviously, to Desire. We listen to the Bootleg Series Volume 5 cut, which we have heard before. And we listen to the one that's on the sidetracks, but it's also featured on Biograph from 1985 that... Um, took place during rolling thunder as well and i think that those two rolling thunders are quite different which uh, does make them pretty interesting but let's let's stick quickly i mean just to reiterate um on the original version we both love his vocals mm. the harmonica scarlet is amazing um you're still very much on the scarlet train yeah yeah i wish there was there was more there's one more absolutely all the time. yeah so how did you feel just taking the two live versions in general did you like the live versions or did you prefer... I prefer them actually. I, really? I wish the, the mix was better, but that's just the nature of the live recording because it yeah. sounds kind of far away. It, does. Like it sounds like somebody kind of in the back of the fields recording it. Probably. Um, but it's just, it's they're faster. Yes. It's faster, faster, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's almost two minutes faster. Yeah. Uh, in that tempo really makes it an electric song. I mean, the addition of the electric instruments helped too, but like, uh, it's just once it goes after like it's every three verses or so mm-hmm. where it does that big breakdown, mm-hmm. it's just like a, like a careening off of a cliff. The the sound that they make is just incredible between the guitars and Scarlet like really goes nuts. Yeah. Whereas in the studio versions, I feel like she's a little more hemmed in and constrained and she's there to add color to the song yeah. here. It's like, she's just doing whatever she wants. And yeah. well, it's I think that's amazing. And that's the one, the, the sidetracks biograph version, this, the second one we listened to uh, that took place in Montreal on December 4th, 1975 has a lot of that. Mm-hmm. It's like more refined. It's just like got that chugga chugga through the verses and those breakdowns. I, what is even happening? I can't even tell, yeah. but then it all just whoop, right back into the verse. And it's wonderful. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Scarlett told the Duluth reader in 2012 quote, you took your cues from Bob. For example, ISIS changed enormously from the album cut to live. You just had to go with it. The live performances became really exciting and fiery and fast. I would follow whichever direction. It was Uh, I like the one, the first one, the first one, one okay. that's on the Rolling Thunder review bootleg. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the Montreal one, the sidetracks one, the second one. Mm-hmm. is rushed in a bad way. Like okay. it feels like he doesn't want to do it almost. Not that his energy isn't there, but like he's, I don't know. They're, they're get, he's like trying to get all. through it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is detrimental because it feels hurried. Where they don't have enough. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the energy, it's just... Ah, well, I think ah. that the the one on Rolling Thunder boot like, has the same energy. Mm, it's it just more... They give it a second to breathe. And I, I love on both versions that he just, like, screams, Yeah! And I like the little backing vocals that yeah. get thrown in the last verse oh, on yeah. both of them is, is cool. And it's just really neat. I wish there was a better recording of the Rolling Thunder bootleg that, and because that would be, like, the one for me. True. Um, I like the studio version. It's fine, but there's just the energy and those guitars, like that flanging wailing, just like amazing. Yeah. Well, I just, I love how they sort of like, uh, on the bootleg series volume one or the bootleg series one. Um, like I was thinking about turquoise. I was thinking about gold. reverb. I was thinking about diamonds and the world's biggest necklace. As we rode through the canyons, through the 
girlish cold I was thinking about ISIS And she saw I was so reckless She told me though that one day We would meet up again And things would be different The next time we went I can only just hang on And be her friend I still can't remember What the best thing she said The sidetracks version of Montreal Whenever we chop through the night and we chop through the dawn and the guitar, you know, basically like imitating chopping down wood. It's fucking amazing. I just and and throughout both of those, I just notice Rob Stoner in the bass. Like if you really listen to it on the second one, the Montreal one, the bass is really highlighted going a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 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 version definitely doesn't have sort of the lighter touch that Columbia sort of painted over. I think I think because it was earlier because 2002 is when the bootleg series volume five came out, but biograph came out in 1985. And I think that that, that, that track to me is a little more rough and a little more bootleg feel. And that's why I think I like it better mm. because it's just, it sounds a little grittier than sort of the cleaned up version there. Cause you can go back and listen to that. I have that show and it doesn't sound as good as that because Columbia went through and remixed and mastered the whole thing. So well, we can agree either way that subbing out the tambourine for electric guitars was really the way to go. It's a great, it's a great thing. And I'm glad you brought up the whole ending to it, you know, when he screams yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a lot of, uh, if this song is about Sarah, then it makes it's a, a lot about of marriage. I make it a song about marriage. And it's also it's, for Leonard. <laughs> shouts to Leonard. If he's still here. If he's still here. And, uh, and at the end, you know, you want me to stay if you want me to? Yes. <laughs> to Sarah front row or backstage <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and Joan Baez is like, oh, <laughs> I wish this song was about me. And it's not. Yeah. So I, I absolutely love those two versions. I think it being a centerpiece, I think it being the thing that was played at all of the Rolling Thunder review shows makes complete fucking sense. And it's one of Dylan's finest live moments, I think, period. Uh, I think his speed, uh, comparing it to 1966, playing with the Hawks uh, and those shows in London, which are infamous, uh, I think is totally warranted for for a performance like this. All right, Kelly, before we get into the song itself and especially the lyrics, what's going on with ISIS? Are we talking about the atmospheric sludge metal band that uh, R.I.P.? Or are we talking about the terrorist organization? Probably. Hopefully, uh, I mean, probably that one, right? Considering it, w- it existed many years after. But maybe Dylan's Dylan. seeing something in the future. Oh, okay, right, right. Seeing atmospheric sludge metal. Maybe he wanted to make atmospheric sludge metal, mm-hmm. but we just didn't know. Right. We just didn't know how to bring that into reality. Columbia was like, no. Like, <laughs> soon, Bootleg <laughs> Series Volume 30 will be his atmospheric sludge death metal. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, it'll be amazing. So, Kelly, I, not to get in too far, but... I, I don't think that Jock Levy or Bob Dylan put a lot of stock and emphasis on Isis, the goddess. Mm-hmm. Like okay. she was married to Osiris, who was like the king of the underworld or whatever, and yeah. she brought him back to right. life. So she's supposed to be like the goddess that ushers in people into the afterlife. Uh, she's also the mother of Horus, which is a big fixture of Egyptian yep. uh, religion stuff, ancient Egyptian stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's just a the goddess that was a central figure of the stuff mythology that's the word yeah. i was looking for yeah she did it was part of that myth and mm-hmm. and a part of the horse myth too like all of it she's just sort of interconnected yeah she was seen as she was associated yeah with marriage mourning maternity that kind of stuff so that's stuff that people go through all the time mm-hmm. uh when the greeks came in to settle egypt they worshipped her as well uh rome did too isis became a part of the roman religion but it wasn't until christianity came and 
put an end to that. But uh, she's still worshipped in pagan circles. Uh, so I think the ISIS stuff, I, I certainly think of Egypt when I'm thinking of right, this yeah. song. And every time he's like the creek where the creek used to rise, I'm imagining the Nile, you know, sort of referring to it as a creek, almost making well, it a very... the pyramids of ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's all very, very particular. But I think uh, Bob Dylan would say that this was a stand-in for Wyoming. So apparently this was just a song about... Hmm mountains and you know the rocky mountains but just sort of telling it in a more mythical sense so less uh, egyptian grave robbing and more weird wyoming mountain grave robbing yeah so and, <laughs> and i and i maybe that and i think bob it's been noted that he likes Jacques levy because he likes to work in allegory and metaphor and bob loves that shit too so uh taking that to egypt taking it to pyramids especially in ice because you always think of egypt as hot and it's like boom that's right. so dope uh it reflects that so i don't think that there's a whole lot to read into isis except for the marriage stuff uh mainly just being a woman and bob dylan wanting to find some refuge in a woman. So let's get <laughs> let's get into that, Kelly. What is this song about? A person who's in a tumultuous relationship who takes off and uh finds a friend in a small town that's like, "Hey, do you want to go uh on a treasure hunt with me?" And the narrator's like, "Yeah, yeah, I do." So they go on their little treasure hunt and they end up in this uh ice pyramid. And then the narrator is really shocked to find out that this is a grave, grave robbing mission. Yes. Not just a simple treasure hut with turquoise and diamond necklaces. Right. And then the friend dies. Just dies. Arbitrarily with no real reason. Or was it murder? Maybe it was murder. And so naturally the narrator throws the friend's body into the tomb that was empty that they were supposed to be raiding. Right. Uh, and then goes back home. To find Isis. To find Isis. To tell her that he loved her. Exactly. That's pretty fair. And then at the end, kind of a, a little elegy about Isis, Oasis, mystical child. We'll get to that. But yeah, so she was married. Uh, you know, I married Isis on the 5th day of May. Was that the 5th day of May? Cinco de Mayo. Okay. But it's not like, that's not when they got married or something? No, but right? some people, again, if it's supposed to be about Wyoming and about Egypt, why can't it also be a, a moment in Bob Dylan's life at this time where he just finished filming uh Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid right. down in New Mexico. A lot of the songs, especially on here, um, we listened to Romance in Durango uh, that was on the Rolling Thunder review. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's part of Desire as well. So like Mexican culture and Mexico in general and just that borderland feel is certainly an aspect of this. So even referencing the fifth day of May is I think just kind of a shout out that like Wyoming, Egypt, Mexico, like we're just okay. wherever in time. Um, and also I, I find it interesting because, you know, Bob Dylan cuts off all of his hair, rides straight away to the wild unknown country where I could not, where I could not go wrong. It's interesting because we always talk about Bob Dylan doing leaving songs. Mm. He always talks about leaving, but we never actually see what happens when he leaves. Like this is a song where we watch him leave. Yeah. And what happens narrator after? Narrator adventure time. Narrator adventure time. And it's kind of fun. And Dylan cites the Odyssey in his Nobel speech. And this is very much the Odyssey. This is very much uh, Odysseus just leaving and going away for who knows how long and returning to, uh, you know, his wife and his old life after, you know, in that, what, 20, 30 years or whatever, this probably didn't take as long, but it's still that idea of the Odyssey leaving and coming back. Uh, and I think it's a really great way to start. I mean, I've said before, I want to read this book. That's an interesting beginning. I want to keep going. 
I came to the high place of darkness and light. Dividing line ran between the center of town. I hitched up my pony to a po- to a post on the right. I went into the laundry to wash my clothes down. All I can think of, spoiler alert for the recommendations, is that we are currently <laughs> in Red Dead Redemption yeah. 2. And right. I've just hitched up my pony. And I'm walking into the saloon or the laundry. And I'm about to meet a crazy-ass character who's yeah. about to take me on, on a side mission. quest. Yeah. It's amazing. So this to me is a side quest. The main quest, of course, <laughs> is getting back to ISIS. Right. But I can't unlock that until I go on the side quest. <laughs> a man in the corner, of course, approached me. Uh, I knew right away that he wasn't ordinary. Are you looking for something easy to catch? I got no money, man. He said that ain't necessary. I love how he compresses that line live. Mm. I said, I got no money, man. He said that ain't necessary. What is that supposed to mean? Is that easy to catch? At first, I thought it was lascivious, and it was like a lady friend. Mm. But then, I guess it's just like, I have a scheme for you. And he's like, no, dude, I don't have any money. He's like, no, 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 treasure. (laughs) Is that mostly what that means, I guess? I think so. Yeah, Uh, yeah, basically, like kind of like, hey, I don't know if I'm trying to be sold something or whatever. Uh, And so he's just like, I got no money. It was just like like a dismissive solicitor line, just like, no, I no, I don't want. Or even if money. even if he does know that it's treasure, it's you do need money to have to like. Where get are we your going? Ponies I, and your gear and yeah, your... get your gear. You gotta get some. I know from Red Dead Redemption too. You gotta get some hay and some apples and stuff for your feed horses. Your pony. Exactly. So you gotta get them going. Uh, so they set out at night in the north. They gave him my blanket. He gave me his word. I said, "Where are you going?" He said, "We'd be back by the but we'd be back by the fourth. Said that's the best news I've ever heard. Okay, so that I'm also curious of. Yeah. The fourth and the fifth. Okay, so I I mean, mentioning that you married Isis on the fifth day of May does not necessarily mean that this is taking place on that day, right? Because that would be an incredibly short marriage, but it's not unfathomable. It's like, we got married and then I took off immediately. (laughs) Or, yeah, well, I think that they imply um, re-wed. You know, when when we meet up again the next time we re-wed. So it's like they were married, something went wrong. If we're thinking about this in like Egypt, there's probably no divorces or anything like that. But he sort of left. But things will be different when I come back again. Now, the the re- I, I've, I've been confused by that and I still am. He said that we'll be back by the 4th. That implies that he already wanted to go back to ISIS on the 5th. Right, that's what I'm trying to say. For the anniversary, which doesn't yeah. make any sense because I it's really his death and like realizing like the, the loneliness of this man that makes him want to go back to ISIS. So that is kind of strange. Yeah. I don't really understand. Well, that's, okay. We'll, we'll keep going. Cause like that leads into another question of mine. Okay, perfect. And then uh, that's where we get to our great bridge in the live versions. I was thinking about turquoise thinking about gold. Uh, I love that. He's just thinking about ISIS. So again, it, it, that's where he starts thinking about it. Like hearing about the fourth or whatever, per- perhaps maybe it's a trigger. I don't know. Like, I, I guess I'm trying to like, make the fourth work, but I don't think it really does. I think that line doesn't make any sense. Okay. So yeah. the turquoise and gold thing, that's where I was curious. Cause the, the fourth leading into that, was he thinking about her the whole time? Like he left, like I'm going to go do something great for her or was mm-hmm. this completely independent? Like I'm going to go do whatever I want because that's what I do. Yeah. Now I'm going to go on a side quest because why not? Why not? And then we was like, Oh shit, I'm going to be so rich. I'm going to get all these necklaces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or is he thinking, great. I have an opportunity to get gifts for ISIS. I just don't know the motivations. Yeah. I, I also see it as, especially by the way that they talk to each other at the end, that there is a deep connection between the two, even without a romantic, like without even being in love or, or being um, 
in a relationship of any kind, I feel like he, there's still an affinity for ISIS. And you might not be wrong. Like whenever he sees himself come into success, he automatically work, and probably will for the rest of his life. Think about ISIS, even if he's not with her, mm. because it's just part of his DNA in a way. So, I, yeah, I think that there is something to that. Like, oh, my God, I'm starting to think of riches. I'm starting to think of diamonds and the world's big, biggest necklace. I can't square that to the fourth as to did he start thinking about her after that? But he's so excited. Like, this he's is so the best excited. mood I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. It feels like, I don't know, it feels like it has to mean something, but it doesn't have to. I know, right? Um, yeah, and then it's still thinking about Isis, how she told me we would meet up again and things would be different the next time we wed. If I can only hang on and just be her friend, I still can't remember the best thing she said. This is so Dylan and Sarah. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, just go back to our Sarah episode. But like, Bob, you know, Sarah saying, if you can only hang on, just be we can be friends. We can start to rebuild a relationship. And then Bob saying, I still can't remember all the best things she said. I was never listening to begin with. <laughs> Dang. Sarah. <laughs> Does this make you better? Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of weird. I, 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 it's, it's still a very taking Sarah out of the equation. I think it's, I think it's very nice. It's like, you're starting to think of it again. But we'll get to that at the end. So they came to the pyramids, Kelly, all embedded in ice. He said, there's a body I'm trying to find. If we can carry it out, it'll be a good price. It was then that I knew what he had on his mind. The wind was howling, and the snow was outrageous. We chopped through the night. It's so good. Chopped through the dawn. And when he died, I was hoping it wasn't contagious. But I made up my mind, and I had to go on. So I'm thinking that our little faithful leader guy, um, Rando Stranger, is was sick and probably knew he was going to die anyway. So he's like, fuck it, let's go on a treasure hunt because I have literally nothing to lose. I think he might be the most interesting character mm -hmm. in this because why? Why does he do that? And why does he take somebody else with him? Yeah. That's a good question. Doing it yourself, fuck yeah. I mean, go, go for die it. anyway. But you got to think, maybe, maybe he didn't though. I mean, I guess there was nothing in the grave, but he either must have known that or maybe he's already been there before or he thought there was but if he thought there was then he wouldn't want to die he'd want to have it well i think that once bob like it clicks in the narrator's head like i knew what was going he i think our um side quest giver didn't know he just had heard from a person who heard from a person right. that there might be a body buried with riches somewhere up in the mountains so he's like might as well go because I've got nothing else going on. Right. But when he sells it to the narrator, he's like, no, there's definitely, definitely. stuff in there. Don't right. worry about it. So we're thinking he just gets sick then. He yeah. just dies. It just and happens. he's just hoping, it, yeah. like, I don't want to die too. Uh, so they broke into the tomb, but the casket was empty. No jewels. No nothing. I felt I'd been had. When I saw that my partner was just being friendly, when I took up his offer, I must have been mad. Yeah, and that lends to a little bit of wishful thinking on the narrator's part. Mm -hmm. Like, they probably were just drunk. And yes. hanging out, and it was like, dude, there's totally gold in the mountains. And then there was like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. It, <laughs> nothing can go wrong. Let's set out right now. Yeah. So we'll be like three miles out when we sober up, and we'll have to keep going. Yeah, I see it as like a moment of reflection, like the lengths for the for the side quest giver, um, his official name, of course. Right, right, right. I, I just see it as the lengths that people go for companionship. Like, I think that he wanted to do this, but he is a classic you know what what's all, all the bills from uh uh country 49 or uh, days, of 49. days of 49 i mean i that's part of the extended universe i mean imagine all the bills this is lonely bill this is lonely bill and i think that this is like 
when I, I saw that my partner was just being friendly, I just see it as like we were sitting down drinking and he just somehow bonded with me. And there was something in both of us, a loneliness, a sadness that we both connected to. And then he hatched a scheme. And of course I'm the type of person that wants to go on the scheme. And I think once he dies, he realizes like, Oh, life is, there's more to it than that. Um, and that he starts thinking more about ISIS, like, Oh shit, either I left her in a bad way or I really miss her right now. Or he's fundamentally like sort of changed and he wants to go back and be with her again so i think that's that's what i see in that yeah it could also be that lonely bill made up the whole thing intentionally to keep talking like he's i just want a friend and, mm-hmm. and i started saying some whack shit and, and you got really invested and i thought we could hang out some more i didn't think we'd get this far i know that's kind of what i see and it's <laughs> yeah. kind of very sad yeah uh and in the end he picks up his body drags him inside threw him down in the hole put back in the cover I mean... unceremonious end for uh, lonely bill lonely bill side, side quest, quest bill. <laughs> don't worry about it i was dreaming about bills put that on a tombstone. I said a quick prayer and I felt satisfied. That's all it took. And then I rode back to find Isis to tell her I love her. She was there in the meadow where the creek used to rise, blinded by sleep and in need of a bed. I don't know. She's just tired? She's tired? I guess. Maybe Sarah got a bunch of kids. No husband around to fucking mm. take care of the kid. Mm, looking at you, Bob. Uh, I came in from the east with the sun in my eyes. I cursed her one time and I rode on ahead. I love it. What is that supposed to be like? Oh, God damn it. She's out in the meadow again. And then he ran. She's so... No, I just see it as like, damn, she's fine. Oh. This sucks. My heart is like bursting even more than it was. Uh, I thought I could ride by, you know, like just satisfy like... Oh, I don't she's alive. Really she's fine. Wanna, yeah, she's fine. Everything's cool, but I don't feel the same way. God damn it. <laughs> I definitely do. I also... I really love the meadow where the creek used to rise. I see it as a very personal detail. It's a very nice little touch. Like... Even if it's like a metaphor for the wide rivers that like all of humanity are on or whatever. It's like, it's nice just to have this little creek that we don't know where that is, but certainly he does. And he went right back to it. And Isis is there. It's very lovely. And then we get to probably my favorite part of the song, which is when she says, where you been? She said, where you been? I said, no place special. She said, you look different. I said, well, yes. She said, you've been gone. I said, that's all natural. You look different. He said, well, yeah, I guess. Although, uh, he cut his hair off. He knows you look different. True, true. And in the official lyrics on BobDylan.com, not to be trusted, it said, I said, well, not quite. That's the official lyrics. Mm. Well, not quite. But he says, well, I guess. Mm. Okay. Again, BobDylan.com, not your source. <laughs> SRTW pod for all your Bob Dylan needs. Uh, she said, you've been gone. He said, that's only natural. She said, you going to stay? And then the Bob Dylan lyrics say, yeah, I just might. But all of the versions are, if you want me to, yes. <laughs> and then a great harmonica solo, yep. pretty much universally, and another great moment for the band live to go crazy. Right. Uh, and really crazy, actually, because when they all get into that last verse, especially live, I love it because it's all them singing it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of, I mean, depending on the version, but it's like they really just drive it home. Isis, Oasis, you mystical child. What drives me to you is what drives me insane. That's why I think when he sees her, he's like, damn it. I'm just I'm just into this person. Uh, I can still remember the way that you smiled on the fifth day of May in the drizzling rain. And then crazy harmonica solo again, which is fantastic. So I was just curious about the intentions of the narrator at the outset of the like little scheme, whether or not they had ISIS on the mind the whole time, or if it was just like, I'm going to be rich. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I think that there's a little bit of that, you know, for, for me, like I see it as, I see it more as like the lengths that we go to like perform our roles. You know, he was out there. Um, he wanted to make a bunch of money and bring it back to ISIS. I think that was, he, I see him as somewhat of a failure in his own mind or whatever. And he was never able to live up to whatever he wanted to be. So he goes off on these misadventures to try to be something to himself, but, but something that's universally accepted as like doing your part or whatever, something that a man like Bob Dylan would understand as being manly is to bring home a fuck ton of money Mm. for his lady. And so when he doesn't fulfill that, he comes back to Isis to tell her that he loves her. There's an interesting uh, dissertation actually about this song written by Patrick Webster uh, called on the fifth day of May on the fifth day in the drizzling rain travel and gender performativity in Bob Dylan's Isis. He says, quote, the narrator then returns to Isis to tell her that he loves her, which is not quite the same one notes as actually loving her. <laughs> Yikes. Sounds like Bob. Uh, and so I, 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 that performativity, I think that it's, I think there's a lot to that. It's, it's Bob Dylan or the narrator, whatever, performing what they're supposed to do. Right. Like trying to convince somebody in gestures that you have good intentions. Right. And, and this kind of gets to like why I think the song is important for 2018. Uh, cause it's a song about leaving, you know, and, and again, we get to see, um, even through surrealistic imagery, we get to see the leaving, which is kind of unique to, to Bob Dylan. Um, and we don't really know when it's taking place. It's like a different place. It's a different when it's a different, it could just be in the mind, you know, just like where we go emotionally. Sometimes we just leave mm-hmm. and we go off to try to find the treasures in our head, but find that they're just empty. And maybe we come back to reality and we're like, well, maybe I am happy or not happy with m- what my life is. But I also see it as like a song of forgiveness, but I don't see it as forgiveness from Isis, who is a very minor character in this and says four lines. And that's all we get to know about her. But I think it's an it's a sense of forgiveness for the main character, the narrator. Um, whatever happened before, he has forgiven, hopefully himself. Although, again, the performing, he might not actually forgive himself or actually love Isis. He's just performing the love. So I think the end is really important because she just asks do, are you going to stay? She never says, I want you to stay. Right, yeah. Um, but him wanting to is almost the answer. Because when he replies, if you want me to, yes, you have my answer. I have performed my answer to you. Right. So when I just stay, you did not say, don't stay. So you are sort of saying stay. At well, least even the that, way like, your mind goes. He's not even putting the the wants, his actual wants on it. He's not saying, yes, I want to stay. Can I please stay? Mm-hmm. He's saying... Do you want me to? Which is still yeah. like an out. Like, because if you because if you want me to, yes. then yes. But otherwise, I'm probably gonna leave again. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. Bye. And once you, I feel like you don't want me to stay again. I will leave again. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's kind of a that's a darker that's a darker take, and I think that's the right take, honestly. Uh, so, would you listen to this song in 2018? Does this song resonate? I mean, we kind of talked on some of those themes, which are pretty universal, but I mean. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like like I said, if if there was a better recording of that Rolling Thunder bootleg one, I think that I would listen to that song for fun. Yeah. Um, but it's good. I mean, it's definitely one of the better songs we've listened to, for sure. I think um, it has a modern sound, though. I think that, like, the piano, even the, the violin stuff is kind of out of place, but, like, I could see a band today sort of mm-hmm. playing that, sort of a just an easy little piano riff and, like, 
you know, singing a narrative song. Like, I don't know. It sounds, it still sounds very modern, unlike some other songs we've had this year that yeah. kind of like are only from the mind of Bob Dylan and sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a very, very bad way. But this song to me sounds, I mean, I could see another band doing something like this. I guess like, I okay. only can't imagine it because this would be kind of like a pop country song and I don't True. listen to country. Like, and I know you yeah. listen to a lot of things that I can't remember the name of that one guy that you're listening to. That's not Sturgill Simpson, but the other one who has a band. <laughs> Jason Isbell. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) Which is not my scene, but I could I could see them doing a song like this. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's still narrative songwriters for sure out there uh doing stuff and that yeah. I think it's also a very simple song with concise statements that tells a story that's not convoluted. Yeah. And I think that's That is nice. That is nice. (laughs) And I think a lot of songs really go into the overwriting realm. Um, we're currently in the band month and if you want to see overwriting and songs that are great get turned into some you know dribble go listen to the band month because some of those songs are great and they just stop they just stop doing the story to tell a message and this one never really does that to its credit so you can see this as a nice ending of love triumphing or the self-delusion in the face of loneliness welcome to 1970 2018 <laughs> All right, Kelly, we were also people in the world who had a playlist. Yes, that I want to talk about. This is probably one of the most epic playlists we've ever done. Agreed. More, I'm shocked that we have any welcome backs on this one. <laughs> we have two, the only two that I know of. Uh, the rest of them are brand new and will never be seen again. Correct. I mean, you can almost bet on, bet your bottom dollar that you will never see those again. I don't know, maybe. Ooh, that is a threat coming from Kelly. Well, let's just run through it. Welcome back, L.A. Salami and Dr. Dog. I think those are the only two we've ever had. Welcome to the playlist, of course, the inimitable Isis. The Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. It's crazy we haven't even touched oh, on really? that. Not a single one? I don't think so. Not yet. Alaska E. Dinarama. I'm going to probably butcher some of these. Xandria, yeah. uh, Linda Vogel, Alex North, Lukid. Yarlin, Akil, Lalik, Kepasa USA, The Natives, Malik Dion, Malik Dion, uh, Shannon Whitworth, Shannon Whitworth, and Danadito. You're doing great. Lacerda, 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 uh, Danadito Lacerda. Nice. Did you forget one? Uh, did I? Yeah. Il Piacere de Esquiderta. Oh, definitely wasn't going to try that. Yeah. Yeah, I just left it off. So, um, what is that one? I don't even, Was yeah. that the best one? No, no, no. I just. Oh, okay. I've, so, I've got. I want to talk about our playlist a little bit. I yep. know we don't really go into it anymore, but uh, that's all I really did this week other than watch a show that ended up being really disappointing The Haunting of Hill House. It had two amazing episodes, episode nine, eight and nine, and they completely undid everything that was cool about the entire show uh, in the last episode. This so. has been a roller coaster that I just ended with, with you <laughs> as well. It was amazing. Because it was okay, and then it got great, and then it was awful. So. Uh. Uh, watch at your own peril the haunting of hill house uh see olena is an atmospheric like dreamy person that i found out about she has really beautiful vocal music you listen to that if you want to people under the stairs fantastic hip-hop group um but their lyrics are problematic sometimes anyway our playlist <laughs> so we have a lot of international bands this time so a lot much. of non-english speaking people which yes. is great um i think i want to say Ho- holland 
Akil, or maybe it's Yarlin, Har- Harlan, Akil. Anyway, he's a Brazilian producer who was on there. He's singing in Portuguese on it. Um, I, maybe that song was good. I don't know. I liked, I liked the beat. It's definitely a contemporary hip hop R&B yeah. beat. It's fun. Um, and I came, that's fresh out of 2018. Whoa. And then Il Piacere de Escurerte. Yeah. Nice, nice. Good. Which literally translates to the pleasure of excluding you. Don't know if that's what they intended. Because I don't speak Italian, but Google, every time you put their name in there, like it, that's the pleasure of excluding you is what comes Hopefully up in English. Hopefully not some fashy uh, Italian band. That is my thing. I was like, it's okay. It's cute. It's like a really bad version of At the Drive-In. Uh, he has, his voice has a little like Zach De La Roca flavor to it. It is. Okay, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not flavor. bad. It's just not great. I, I mean, I like it because it's like this little tiny band out of Italy, yeah. uh, Laquila, Italy. Oh, that's definitely not how you say that. Um <laughs> As long as you're not saying Italy. Yeah. I Italy. Lakila Italy. Uh I I hope they're not fascists. Uh <laughs> but it's it's one of my I watched one of their videos because I was really curious about this band. Um for Carta Pesta and yeah. it's awful. It's an okay. awful music video. It's just them in the dark mouthing the words to it. Everybody's very unsure. They're clearly reading off of something and it's like really weird and bad, but it feels like too, I, I like that you said at the driving cause it feels like, like 2000 at the driving. Yeah. Just the like, way, especially with the way they're rolling their R's and stuff right. and just the intensity of like how they're attacking the lyrics, which makes it fun it unless it, they're fascists. Um, True. my favorite part about it is I went into their page and it shows your monthly listeners. You know, every single one of their songs has like less than a thousand listens. Yeah. And um, which I love finding all these bands. I'm glad that I took That's the time amazing. to do this. <laughs> uh, their monthly listeners, they're of the ones listed. There are nine. Um, a couple of in Naples, a couple in Rome, which makes sense because those are in Italy. Uh, Pescara, Italy, and two in Portland. No it's way. you and I. <laughs> in mexico city but yeah they like, must be like what the fuck we made, is going on? We made it onto their monthly listeners so please go listen to the yeah. unless again if you find other fascists but i couldn't blow not, them up they're blow not big enough up. that their lyrics are online so i couldn't translate yeah, them to yeah. make sure they weren't so whatever um alaska e dinorama mm-hmm. dinorama uh, or just alaska so this was a group that she f- was part of dinorama was apparently a group that was out of spain uh they okay. were pretty popular in alaska uh, joined them too but she's a, a singer and songwriter uh actress and dj out of madrid she was really popular in the 1970s and 80s and part of a band called kakak de luke's sorry guys uh one of spain's first punk rock bands apparently oh, shit. um she also formed a band called F- uh, fangoria which is a synth pop band out of spain and apparently very famous they have like five plus million song or listen to a lot of their songs um and she's also a huge lgbt ally which is great she's like a a fixture of the the gay gay icon in uh in spain in spain um que Paso usa yes performance art group out of mexico city love um, the name i thought they were an old, it had such an old flavor to it like a classic almost salsa type of vibe uh, but they're new. They're they're brand new. Um, they explore queer and feminist themes in their music and art. And their single, uh, No Me Gustas Tu, is an anti-Trump, uh, like, electro-pop. Well, not really electro, like a pop rap thing. Yeah. Um, and the lyrics, have, some of the lyrics contained therein are, like, uh, being Mexican isn't a felony. And, and like, sure. you know, put the wall and all this kind of stuff. Which is great. No por es menos dura. No me gusta Trump. Pero Melina está Mexicano 
last name Malik Dion? Yeah, that's. So he's an indie rapper out of Oakland. Um, I like that he had he has positive raps. Like that's his his whole thing. Is he wants to put good energy out into the world. I like that he used a lot of jazz. Yeah, uh, yeah and totally. His, that's right. I, I skipped through his album, and he definitely samples a lot of jazz stuff. Um, talking about you know toxic masculinity and police violence, and I'm always about that kind of stuff. Messaging. Yeah. So um, it's a little Kendrick Lamar bitey, but that's. And I don't super love the sound of his voice particularly, but it's not the worst. And yeah. I just, I think the message um, is what takes precedence there. So anyway, yeah, a lot of new people that so nobody's new. ever heard of. And I think that you should check them out maybe. I, I think this is one of the more fun playlists, yes. Yeah. And it's nice to just uh, put it on in the background and just have it as cool, different music that you're normally used to listening to. So I highly recommend it. Uh, I also want to recommend, obviously... Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> uh, it's a video game, if you don't know. And it's really great. And it really informed a lot of my take on ISIS. Because I wouldn't have a take if it weren't for Red Dead Redemption right, 2. Sure, sure. I don't know anything about the Wild West. But now I know everything <laughs> about it. Um, and while I was listening, or while I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2, I was listening to somebody that you would not like. His name is Coulter Wall. And he released an album called Songs of the Plains. Originally, I was like, oh, Songs of the Plains. This is going to be cool. It's just going to be like old folk songs and stuff. So imagine a scraggly beard, just really skinny guy wearing a cowboy hat. And then you hear this. I cut through the Rockies like some unholy blade. I see depths of the Pacific I have bathed. Wherever I wander, wherever I stray. Russell wheat fields start calling my name, calling my name. Let me die in the country that I love the most. I'm a plain to see plainsman and the desire. So Coulter Wall, yeah, and I just you can put this on and listen to him and play Red Dead Redemption at the same time. Just have a great experience. Have a great experience. No one knows where Red Dead is taking place. It's definitely on the border of Mexico. Uh, and Coulter Wall is from Canada. He's singing about Saskatchewan. He's singing about the plains up there. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting, just not to be talking about old West American right. West. But um, the West that exists out in Canada, Clutch. Clutch Week, uh, ISIS is fantastic. We are a real podcast, Kelly. Oh, wow. We have new mics. We do. Things are sounding great. Things are looking up (laughs) for the first time ever. But if you want to help us pay for these mics, there is a way you can do that. You can send us some money at patreon.com slash SOTW pod. We will split half of it for an ISIS subscription and half of it <laughs> for our mics and our hosting deal and our hosting. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. We'll try. We'll cut it up in threes, uh, 33 cents per dollar. So let's get some dollars flowing guys. Yeah. And if you, uh, are mad at Bob for getting the lyrics to ISIS wrong, come check out our website, SOTWpod.com for all of your Bob Dylan needs. And you can also follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, all the places. You can listen to what we're listening to. You can see us online. And we are just hanging out, just like you, trying to make it in this hellhole of a world. Kelly, (laughs) we are four episodes to the end of season two. Hmm? We have 438 songs left. This is the time of the episode where we go ahead and pick next week's episode. 
I can't believe we have so where many we picked, songs left. Where we picked next week's song, we do have 438 songs. It's a lot. It's so many. It's a never-ending podcast. Man. Kelly, one out of 438, what you got? 379. Okay, interesting. It could have been, we could have gone to, this would be our second street legal song. So this is two years after ISIS. Uh, and it's a great song. It's actually the lead song to our Game of Thrones pod, Changing of the Guards. Oh, Hell yeah. See, it's it's unforgettable, <laughs> almost as unforgettable as Game of Thrones. Oh, Jesus. Anyways, we're not going to go there now. Changing of the Guards is not what we're listening to. to Kelly, uh, the correct answer is 144. And we are going to Street Legal anyway. So yeah. this is another Street Legal song. Uh, it's called Senor, Tales of Yankee Power. Senor Senor <laughs> Well so we're going to stick with the Red Dead Redemption 2 And Coulter Wall vibe Sweet. And we will see you next week for Senor oh.